Uh, but we can actually start now, for, for real, if you guys are oh, yeah. ready. Yep. So, yep. I just had it. As you already know, folks, this is the Weird on a Black and White Screen panel, classic weird television. I'm going to read the uh, panel description for you. It says, The Twilight Zone, The Outer Limits, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Kolchak the Night Stalker. For decades, classic television brought the weird into living rooms across America. Our panelists explore the classic era of weird television. What did they do well and not so well? How did they influence generations of creators and fans of weird fiction, cinema, and television? So before we get started, I actually do want to just take a moment to sort of define our parameters. Um, first of all, I believe horror and the weird are fraternal twins. Uh, they're not identical, but they spring from the same egg. So I'm absolutely going to allow this conversation to include shows that one might just consider horror rather than the weird. And the same with science fiction. That's, I think it's inevitable, and, and we sort of have to. Um, let's see. Second, uh, despite the title of the panel, there will be plenty of classic programs that we're going to discuss that are in color. I don't want anyone to feel they have to sort of uh, cut off, you know, uh, in the middle of Lost in Space. <laughs> so we're going to talk about uh, color as well. Uh, so those are just, just the parameters. But, so I'd love for the uh, panelists to introduce themselves uh, and uh, tell us what their television watching credentials are. And why don't we start with you? What? No. <laughs> oh, crap. Uh, good, good morning? No. Uh, good evening, actually. Uh, I'm Pete Rollick, uh, writer of crap. Bad, pulpy, Lovecraftian novels um, that some people really, really like. I have suffered from severe bouts of insomnia and have since I've been eight years old. So I had a small black and white television about yay big in my room and I would watch way past 11 o'clock into like the 2, 3 in the morning in Philadelphia and you get Dr. Shock. Mm. Uh, you remember Dr. Shock? Mm. <laughs> that was a yeah. No, actually, I don't know. You know Dr. No, Shock? Um, he was the successor to Zachary okay. um, mm -hmm. in Philadelphia. When Zachary moved to New York, um, Dr. Shock took over. Um, and, but we would get to see like Monty Python, but whatnot. But I've always suffered from insomnia. It's like I, I sleep like three, four hours a night. That's it. And but so I, and I watch TV while I write. And if you read my novels, you'll see exactly what I was watching while I was writing. <laughs> and it's like all of Reanimators was written while I was watching Charlie Chan. So you know, there's oh, wow. there's a Charlie Chan reference in in Reanimators. Um, so yeah, that's my. <laughs> I, I watch a lot of crap TV. So that you don't have to. <laughs> I'm Gwendolyn Keist. I am a horror and weird fiction writer. I also agree that they're like totally that fraternal twins, 100%. Um, my latest book is The Rust Maidens. And I grew up absolutely loving The Twilight Zone. I mean, I've been watching it since I was three, four years old, terrified of it, you know, some of the episodes when I was little. And then now that I'm older, I'm terrified of the more, like, existential ones, the ones that, like, I was scared of about the monsters as a kid. I'm like, I could deal with those now, but, like, some of the, like, the, the creepier ones about about life and, and death, those are the ones that get me now. So I, was, I like The Outer Limits, not as much as The Twilight Zone. Um, I love that we talk about Kolchak. I, my dad loved that when he was younger, and then he introduced it to me when I was a kid, and so it was, like, a really big deal when it went into syndication, where we were from so that was that's great and I like Night Gallery too those were like most of the ones mentioned in the in the panel so yeah those are my credentials just watching way too much television as a kid uh, television addict uh, so Joe Zanella I'm a clinical director at a counseling program in Bridgeport Connecticut 
Uh, I came to this years ago when I did a presentation on uh, addiction to fear, why we are attracted to things that scare us. And so here I am, and uh, I am, I grew up on TV. It was there, it was the babysitter, it was the educator, it was the adventures, it was the stuff you talk about in school the next day. And I came into this more from the science fiction point of view, very hardcore Star Trek early on, and then evolved into all the other things. And since going back, watched shows like uh, One Step Beyond, which was great and brand groundbreaking. And it's the stuff you can now find on DVDs, Blu-rays. Uh, but some of it's lost. Some of it you'll never mm -hmm. see again because it was lost to the ages, mm -hmm. erased, forgotten. And the people who did see it, they're fading away. And, and even Hollywood doesn't even remember what some of the shows were. Mm -hmm. They were just pumping them out, putting them on TV as fast as they could. And so it's nice that somebody has an interest in it like we do. Uh, Alan Trump, um, um, occasional contributor to horror magazines, nonfiction and fiction magazines and books, things like that. And uh, like these, like some of the folks here, fortunate enough to be old enough to see some of these in the original broadcast, some of them in later uh, syndication programs. but. Also, like Gwendolyn was saying, I had very, uh, very permissive parents for the kids, sort of thing, and they would sit down and watch. I can specifically remember watching the Twilight Zone episode, Eye of the Beholder, and asking my mom and dad, why don't we see the doctor's faces? What's going on? How come, you know? And they said, wait for it, wait for it. And my, my grandmother, God bless her, she used to iron her clothes watching Dark Shadows. No. <laughs> Dark Shadows, oh God. It's a soap opera, right? Yeah, it was great. And, the, <laughs> and I'm your host, Mr. Rourke. No, nobody gets this show. Tattoo? No, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm Nicholas Kaufman, and my uh, TV watching credentials are just that uh, I stayed up watching television also much too late. When I was growing up, uh, in syndication on WPIX, which was Channel 11 in New York. Uh, it was, uh, okay, so it was uh, The Odd Couple at 11, The Honeymooners at 11.30, classic Star, uh, Star Trek at 12, and then wow. the uh, Twilight Zone at one o'clock. Wow. And then I, of course, would have to get up at 6.30 for, for school, <laughs> right? But, uh, and then I just sort of became a TV nerd after that. So. Um, We've already touched a little bit on this because I think it's so seminal, but let's talk about The Twilight Zone for a bit. Um, even though it wasn't the first science fiction anthology program on TV when it premiered in 1959, uh, it was preceded by Out There and Tales of Tomorrow in 1951, Inner Sanctum in 1954, and Science Fiction Theater in 1955, but it's widely considered the grandfather mm -hmm. right, of, of the genre. Uh, it really was lightning in a bottle. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. I mean, you've already shared a little bit about your love of The Twilight Zone, but in particular, your thoughts about Rod Serling uh, and, and uh, your, your thoughts on uh, how he made The Twilight Zone into something that we still uh, watch and appreciate today. We can start with you again, if you'd like. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so so you, you call um, Twilight Zone lightning in a bottle, yeah, but it's yeah. not. 
it's it's a singular vision and it's one man putting it out there and he has a very clear idea of what he wants to do. He has a clear sense of what morality he wants to put out mm -hmm. there and yes. what subjects he wants to deal with. Very much similar to where way uh, Gene Roddenberry did with Star Trek. Mm. They had a vision, they took control of it and they maintained control and that not only produced quality and their vision, it produced something that resonated with the population and continues to resonate with today. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the other shows, you're, you're looking at different producers, right. different visions, different ideas. Serling had really strong control over, over what mm -hmm. was being produced mm -hmm. and the quality of, of the work that was being done. I'm going to go from there and say one thing also is that he knew how to find good collaborators. One of the things I relate Serling to Alfred Hitchcock in that they're both these people that had very clear visions but they also knew who to collaborate with because you look at you know who worked on the Twilight Zone you had Ray Bradbury you had Charles Beaumont you had Ida Lupino and Richard Donner directing episodes I definitely want to get Ida Lupino in there because oh, she's yeah. like the only person who was in an episode the 16 millimeter shrine and then directed the masks and was like the only woman to direct an episode the of the Twilight Zone. The masks is actually Zone. my favorite episode. I love really, that episode yeah. and and her direction is so good but again I I think it's so interesting that it's he did have a vision but he also knew oh and Richard Matheson wrote a bunch of episodes and so he knew when to turn it over to somebody who who could he could trust he knew how to find those collaborators yeah. and and to build upon that vision and make it feel collaborative because when you look at I always love to play the game that it's like, okay, is this episode written by Rod Serling? I think it is. And then you look at the, yes, it was. And then the other ones, you're like, this one's written by Richard Matheson. And he allowed each person to have that vision while having this overall feeling of this is still this, this kind of cohesive whole. And oh, one other thing before I, before I move on. Because I was thinking, because you talk, and I'm probably going to like, you know, steal the thunder later on about, is there anything now that's, that's like this? And I kept thinking, like, why do I, why do I always feel like, that nothing quite does it for me like the Twilight Zone does. And one of the things was he did have a very clear sense of morality. He did have a very clear sense of vision, but he also trusted his audience. He never talked down to the audience, even though it was like a Twilight Zone, so political. But it never seems like he's telling you, well, listen, I'm smarter than you, and I'm going to tell you how to think. He trusts the audience to really come along with him in these stories and never, never talks down to the audience. And I think that that's part of the reason why it's lasted for so long, because it's not this sense of, this is what's popular right now. It's got a broader sense of right and wrong, and he trusts you to figure it out on your own. All right, that's, that's me. That's, that's about everything. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're done. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah, tip your waiters. Um, everything, I know from, uh, from what people have written about Rod Serling, he, he was regarded as, as a brilliant young writer in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. I don't think he was very controversial, but he did write some controversial mm -hmm. plays. The mm -hmm. stage plays he was mm -hmm. putting on, mm -hmm. which were on TV. Uh, you've got Requiem for Heavyweight. You've got the uh, the one about the Korean War uh, trial. I can't remember the name. Anybody? Remember? Okay. Know, so after the Korean War, some of our our POWs were tried for court-martial offenses because they had done propaganda. They'd been tortured. America had never understood that process. Serling took it, made a, a brilliant piece of work, put it on, and that was the kind of thing that got him a reputation. Mm -hmm smart writer, daring, mm -hmm. and somebody somewhere at the networks must have said, oh, he wants to, you're pitching, um, oh, it's only a half hour? How much will it cost? Okay, give us a try. And that's, I don't know who said it, but that's how it happened. 
and as I was mentioning in uh, some emails we traded back and forth, television is art by committee. <laughs> so your director may be brilliant, the screenplay may be awesome, the cinematographer is great, the actor, eh, kind of sucks. You've got all these elements that have to fall yes. together, and Serling was able to do that over and over mm -hmm. and over. He picked little bit actors. You know, you've got, uh, uh, okay, right out of my head, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. Robert Redford. Robert Redford is in, oh, that was a great episode, too. See, now I'm remembering all these great episodes. <laughs> <laughs> and I won't ruin it for you for those who haven't seen it, but he, he plays death. <laughs> and, totally uh, you didn't hear that. It was a myth. Don't talk, listen to the man behind the curtain. He plays a, a very handsome young man who visits an older woman in her home, right? It's That's it. Yeah. You just pitched it to make it sound very different than it what it's a, like. Oh, a really nice guy. Yeah. He's a handsome young man and she's an older woman. But it's a, <laughs> okay, there's some, there, you're right. And she, she resists his charms. Yes, yes, but finally she, she gives in. She gives in. <laughs> She gives, and they walk away hand in hand. That is not representative. <laughs> it was a sexy let it go. But that particular episode is terrifying, 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 and the reveal at the end is terrifying, and then it's not. Mm -hmm. And that was the thing about the Twilight Zone. They would give you a slap in the face, surprise ending, which mm -hmm. often worked. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it didn't, but it often worked. But and they tried. A, <laughs> right. They, they tried. And in a half-hour format. One commercial interruption, you could pull that off. When they expanded it to one hour format, uh, that's when it didn't yeah. work. It was slower, it was heavier, mm -hmm. the writing was good, yeah. but still. And the writers were phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, these were people that, you know, you look at down the list, you yeah. don't know who they are, then you see what they've done. You know, oh, they did that? Oh my mm -hmm. God. So, mm -hmm. and there's something about a black and white. Mm -hmm. I love the tone. I love the quality of black and white. We're going to touch it, on that later too. We're yeah. going to ruin all. Of it all works. Nicholas's question. You know, eliminate the. You don't need color to tell the story. Mm -hmm. You need a good script, and as we've seen from as as we've seen from some episodes, you need no dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I would echo what these folks said. Um, I did a little panel here previously about. Uh, paperback anthology collections from the 70s mm -hmm. that, you know, and <clears throat> Serling did several of those. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. he did Rod Serling's Triple right. W right. and, and yeah. Demons, you know, yeah. and he had a great appreciation, you know, like us for horror fiction, pulp mm -hmm. fiction, science mm -hmm. fiction, you know, and incorporated it into that. He was a true fan of this. Um, I, I would also say, you know, echo what, what they've said about some of the writers. Not only did they have Richard Matheson, but they had uh, Charles Beaumont, an incredible mm -hmm. talent, yes. you know, who did that, um, uh, who tragically died very, very young. young. You had Earl Hamner Jr., yes. Yes. who did The Waltons. And his <laughs> episodes are uh, not not particularly terrifying, but they're very folksy and yes. um, sort of manly way, well-been Appalachian yes. Mm -hmm. yes. themes yeah. to a lot of them. So I would say that. Plus, like I mentioned previously, uh, actors, everybody like Jack Klugman and Agnes Moorhead and uh, <laughs> um, several, uh, oh, uh, Billy Moomy and uh, mm -hmm. the, oh, sure. It's a wonderful day. It's a wonderful life. It's a good life. It's a good life. It's a good life. I would say, yeah, it just, all those different things, you know, made it a phenomenal experience. Yeah. I, I think what also stands out, I, I made a list. <laughs> I wanted to mess around. 1959, 
Twilight Zone comes out. Mm -hmm. There's really, there's lots of sci-fi. I mean, I've got a page of sci-fi that came before Twilight Zone. It was garbage. It was basically westerns in space. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it was Commando Cody, which actually was kind of fun. Space Patrol, an early version of Buck Rogers. There's no existent film of it. Uh, Tom Corbett, Space Cadet. That was what was safe. Television was so new, and nobody was going to rock the boat. I mean, this is going out to the whole nation. You're not going to write something that's going to be controversial or rock the boat. You're, you're, you've got fun. You've got westerns in space. If you ever watch Star Trek and you see a fight scene, those are western punches that they're throwing. They you see the big wind-up. Because they were choreographed by the same guys that were choreographing Gunsmoke. Mm -hmm. So there's this, this blasé thing going on. Or, you know, nothing is happening on that's exciting on TV. And then the Twilight Zone hits. And just months before it was One Step Beyond which was kind of Twilight zone but they were taking allegedly true stories, oh. and they could be UFOs, they could be ghosts, they could be werewolves, they could be apparitions, they could be astral projection, and presenting it as, oh, this really might have happened. <laughs> those two shows, and One Step Beyond is kind of forgotten nowadays, but those two shows were really pivotal to my generation and a lot of the... the viewing that we see now is trying to recapture that. They're trying to, the, yes. not the viewing, the, mm -hmm. the create, they're trying to capture that lightning in a bottle that was Rod Serling and a bunch of very talented writers. Yeah. It's very hard to do. It is. Twilight Zone's been rebooted twice now. Yeah. Maybe three times. There was a recent, just, just recently. Yeah. 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 There was another one. Yeah, try right. and capture that again. It's hard. It's could, hard. Could I just jump in and mention what you were saying about One Step Beyond? Um, there are some of these shows that I think like little little scars in your cerebellum and, and there were some one step beyond yeah. episodes it's kind of forgotten but they had an episode and you can get this on DVD now in which uh, I recall there is a uh, uh, aristocratic couple in Paris and they have a stain on the wall and as yeah. as time goes by they find out that they uh, this couple has murdered the band's previous wife so his mistress could take her place and slowly the stain takes on the shape of a skull and a hey. screaming face oh, and goodness. only they can see it there's that one there is um uh oh lord several you know Lots that are very ones. but the one that i can't find is an episode in which um there's a little boy and he makes a friend and all of us he talks about it to his parents and somehow the little boy winds up on the roof of this of his house. And he said, how did you get there? Well, my friend picked me up and put me up here. And and, and you never see the friend. But he said, well, where did your friend go? He said, he went into the woods. And I, I, I may, like you said, I may be fabulating this, but I think they said, burn the woods down. Was the Good American point of view. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something in the woods, better burn them. Uh, One Step Beyond was actually um, sponsored by Alcoa. Yeah. So it's, it was called Alcoa Presents One Step Beyond. And the uh, opening scene, the opening credits was that, that sort of creaky, cobwebbed covered door, right? That yeah. just says, you know, come join us, we're One Step Beyond, or whatever. And it was just, you know, the door would open. So uh, as I'm reading up for this panel, I'm reading about One Step Beyond. John Newland is the narrator. He's the presenter, the He's talking. calls himself your guide to the supernatural. Right. He directed basically all the episodes. And in maybe first season, 
I think it was first season, he actually did a documentary. They went down to Mexico and they were looking for this mushroom that enhances your psyche. And he did mushrooms on camera so that they could say, let's see if this opens up my consciousness. And that was one of those episodes that was banned. <laughs> we're not showing America that one. They, I think they got it through once and it's like, what was that? Never again. But I mean, that raises an interesting question. It, it started the same year as Twilight Zone. It ran for three or four seasons. It was popular at the time. I've yeah. seen episodes. It's, it's pretty good. Why doesn't it last? Why isn't it viewed with the same reverence? Why aren't people talking about it the way they talk about the Twilight Zone? What's it missing? Maybe that artistic vision. Like we said, there, yeah, is, a, there is a cohesive vision mm. for the Twilight Zone. And from what it sounds like, I haven't seen this. I've heard of it. And maybe I have seen it because you're describing it and I'm like, I feel like it's one of those things that you know sometimes you might have seen it if it was like briefly in syndication or somewhere I might have seen it but I'm not super familiar with it but it doesn't seem like it did have that kind of unified idea behind it it was kind of like you know maybe this happened maybe it didn't kind of random element which can work but I think with the Twilight Zone, because it does feel so cohesive, it does feel like a whole. Except, although, like you said, those one-hour episodes, I sometimes delete that entire season, and I feel bad, because there were some good ones, but it doesn't have that same feel as those half-an-hour episodes. Well, one, one thing with uh, I'm sorry, with uh, One Step Beyond is they weren't in, at least that's what the press releases said, they weren't supposed to be stories. Yeah. They were supposed to be dra dramatizations of, of actual psychic events. Yeah. So they didn't always have a logical tie-in mm -hmm. up at the end conclusion. Mm -hmm. Right. They, they would give you a hang ending. Mm -hmm. You didn't know. What was that? Nobody knows. <laughs> Tune in next week. <laughs> and you're like, but what? But what? Flying what? And, but, but with Twilight Zone, you had a period at the end of uh -huh. the sentence. Yes, yeah. you did. You had an end. Yes. Yes. But the other thing that's like, oh, based on actual events does is it undermines any author. Yes. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, responsibility yeah, or, right. or or credit. Yes. And it's like, oh well, you know, they're just wrote down what the reporter said, so you're done. Yeah. You know, it's well, it, they get pretty free and loose with some of those stories. Uh, yeah, yeah, but, but it's sort of still, a, it, it undermines that it's that, true. that didn't have a agency. screen writer, mm -hmm. right? Somebody who would just yeah. knock it out of the park. Mm -hmm. Still I fun stuff. One episode in which uh, it was called something like an incident on something street, but. Uh, it was, it was pretty terrifying and it had a conclusion and the idea behind it was that there was this nice family living in like the 1920s or something and a young, young woman would bring a new boyfriend home but every time that she would bring one home they would catch a glimpse in this room of who was in there sitting in there reading, in the book, reading a book and it would terrify them so bad it would chase them all away and the one, the last bow this girl had said, I saw something in that room. What I saw wasn't a man. What I saw belonged in the sea. And, and, and basically these people have a freak child who is a throwback uh, and is a kind of very similar to the deep ones. You know, I love it, that's very Lovecraft. And at the very end, and I'll, I'll give it away, I'm sorry. Spoiler, but, uh, give it away. But, but the very, at the very end of the episode, his mother finds a hypnot a hypnotist who somehow thinks she can help him, you know, turn human. And the only thing, the only thing you see of the kid is the hypnotist says, "Give me your hands." And you see his hands, and they're all covered with scales and have long nails. And when he comes out, he 
he's rooting for the football team, you know? <laughs> That's a good American story. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I just want to uh, say we shouldn't we shouldn't worry about giving away plot details, but you know, spoiler warning is in effect. Sorry. These are old shows, I know, but but uh, you've had fifty yeah, years. You've had yeah, fifty right. years. You're going to hear some some plot details, and you got to be okay with that. <laughs> so I, I want to I, I have to do this. I have to break out of this. So my my grandfather drove a truck and delivered shirts for a living. His brother is the was the director of of uh, engineering and historical preservation in Annapolis, Maryland. His wife was the president of the Daughters of the American Revolution. So one day, I finally got up the nerve to ask, "What the fuck happened? <laughs> Why two totally different uh, outcomes?" And I get told the story that my grandfather is the older brother. He should have gotten everything. He was born with a crick in his neck. His head sat like this. And they put him in the attic. And it wasn't until World War II, and he got drafted, that they took him out. And they took him down to the draft board and said, look, he can't go to, to war. He's, he's a freak. And the doctor went out and grabbed him by the head and went crack. And all the cartilage just broke out. He's fine. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but... That, you know, it didn't have to be a horrible thing. It could be mm -hmm. something very simple that they were so ashamed of, mm -hmm. so ashamed that they wouldn't take him to a doctor. So for could, 18 years, it could have just been a right. simple so, doctor procedure. Yeah, and so, you know, but you know, you're reminding me of the story and like what some people think is horrific is so uh, curable mm. that it's ridiculous and you just touch So I wanted to share, right. share yeah. my pain with I, you. I appreciate you sharing your pain. <laughs> I actually never thought we'd talk this much about uh, uh, One Step Beyond, to be honest. <laughs> but let's move forward. In 1963, The Outer Limits premiered uh, with its famous opening narration, We Control the Horizontal, We Control the Vertical. We've written it down. There you go. <laughs> so, but the, the funny thing is, nobody really knows now what a horizontal or a vertical means, right? It would, oh, it God. Would, no. You know, and it wouldn't necessarily... Uh, you know, I'm not going to read this out loud, but we, we can show that later. Um, oh my God, that's so painful. <laughs> but while The Twilight Zone dealt more in allegory, I, I would say, yeah. The Outer yeah. Limits was more straightforward genre stories. Mm -hmm. Although it had a science fiction edge, it dealt a lot with horror and the weird. The episode The Xanti Misfits comes to mind as just mm -hmm. how weird this show could mm -hmm. get with its uh, ant-like alien convicts. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a wonderful episode. Uh, why do you think this one did have the lasting uh, legacy uh, like The Twilight Zone did? Uh, whereas a show like One Step Beyond did not. What was it about The Outer Limits? Um, and it, 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 was in, it was syndicated, which I think helped, mm -hmm. certainly. Uh, and that's how I saw it. But what's, what's the magic for The Outer Limits for you guys? For me, it actually is the opening narration. It scared me so much as a child, and it's so memorable, and it's so unique that, like, I feel so bad saying this. I don't remember individual episodes of The Outer Limits like I remember individual episodes of The Twilight Zone, but I remember the feel of The Outer Limits. So it's like I'm going back through for this panel. I'm like, okay, yes, I've seen that one. Yes, I've seen that one. But it felt more like a general feel as opposed to the individual episodes. And that that opening and closing, I, I was so scared of it as a child. I would sometimes like be like, okay, I've got to go sit down and I've got to go face this. I was like six. And I would sometimes like turn it off halfway through because it was just so creepy and unsettling. Yeah. And I didn't quite understand the horizontal and vertical, but I kind of did. <laughs> I kind of did it. We did still have a TV that would use it because we had like a hand-me-down TV. So I kind of understood it, but I kind of didn't. So even that kind of almost felt anachronistic, but I knew that it wasn't. And so even that kind of feeling out of time, like really, 
it, it was that. It was that. It was that opening. That Gwen, do you want to read the opening me. for us? Oh, yeah, <laughs> I will. There is nothing wrong with your television set. Do not attempt to adjust the picture. We are controlling transmission. If we wish to make it louder, we will bring up the volume. If we wish to make it softer, we will tune it to a whisper. We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. We can roll the image, make it flutter. That part always really scared me for some reason. I don't even yeah. know why. I'm like, oh, yeah. flutter, that's so scary. Do you even know what a fluttering TV is? I do. It's a fluttering. It's a pre-cable thing. Yeah. Yeah. Pre-cable. We can change the focus to a soft blur or sharpen it to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit quietly, and we will control all that you see and hear. We repeat. There is nothing wrong with your television set. You are about to participate in a great adventure. You are about to experience the awe and mystery within re- with say I messed up, which reaches from the inner mind to the outer limits. See, I couldn't even get through it without messing it up. It still creeps me out, even when I'm the one reading it. But but look at what that does. It literally says, okay, we're going to take you, mm-hmm. right, and we're yes. going to put you someplace else. You have no and, control, and you have no exactly. control, and you're going to be scared. You're going to think this is wrong. The Twilight Zone was, okay, this will be spooky. You know, Mm -hmm. Twilight Zone. Ooh, da-da-da-da-da. Outer Limits was, we own you, and we're going to mess with you. And you're not going to like it. you can't do anything anything about about it, it. so sit back. You can't even turn off your television. It's much more in your face. And that, to me, so 1963, 1963, everybody's afraid of nuclear war. Yes. It's not even 20 years after World, World War II. II. Mm-hmm. Devastation. Mm-hmm. All the veterans have come home. Korean War, mm-hmm. communism, nuclear bombs everywhere. You've got three lousy networks. <laughs> That's it. If and they are pretty you, lousy. you got Channel 11 in, in Fairfield <laughs> County, Connecticut, because you got a little of that. You might have Channel 9, WOR, from wherever they came from. Mm-hmm. So you've got maybe five channels. And you're only watching three of them. And you're only really watching whatever's most popular that night. Mm -hmm. And this comes on. And your TV is fluttering and rolling. And trust me, they fluttered and rolled all the time. (laughs) When they did that stuff, your dad would walk up, open it up, start whacking tubes, pulling tubes, (laughs) plugging it back in. So they had the part about putting the tinfoil. Oh, God. You know, you got the rabbit ears, and I'm standing there holding the rabbit ears, and dad's like, that's great. And you let go, and the picture goes crappy. So it's like, Joe, stay there. But I can't watch the TV. Stay there. Uh, And then this comes on. And this isn't the Twilight Zone. Mm -hmm. This is an hour. Yeah. And these are weird, mm-hmm. weird stories. Mm-hmm. And they punch it in the gut. And they were good. They were not all of them, but they were good. Mm-hmm. It has staying power. And that opening all by itself is possibly the best opening of any TV show in history. Yeah. So a lot of, as writers and, and, and viewers, we talk about, you know, we're watching a film or reading a book and we have suspended disbelief. Mm-hmm. And then there, that big mistake comes along and it's like, okay, now we're, we're out, we're broken, mm-hmm. and now we can't get back in. Mm-hmm. Twilight, uh, what Outer Limits is doing is it's grabbing you and it's forcing you to, to suspend mm-hmm. your disbelief. Yeah. And you're going to stay there. Mm-hmm. And 
Well, you have to kind of buy into it, too, right? I mean, you, you actually can turn off the TV. <laughs> I was always really proud when I was like four, Why, five, six old. years old. I'm like, I can turn this off. You're wrong. You mean voice <laughs> on TV. The voice of authority says you can't. Right. Right. right? right. And this is the. This and is, if you're 11 or something, you're like, oh, right, shit, you know. man. <laughs> it's like, well, that you just point out something important, though. The, these shows, to me, were my childhood. Mm-hmm. When you're in magical thinking, Yes. And you see a, a Twilight mm-hmm. Zone where a kid falls through the wall into another dimension. Mm-hmm. You fall asleep thinking, I'm going to fall through my bed into another dimension. And you can't sleep that night. And then your dad's like, you can't watch Twilight Zone. Ever. <laughs> Dad, I want to see Twilight. So you catch somebody at that age. Yes. I can watch a Twilight Zone episode now. Well, better example for me would be the movie Forbidden Planet. When I saw it as a kid, it exploded my mind, the size, the scope, the imagination. As an adult, I can't help but see Leslie Nielsen in a straight yeah. role. It's <laughs> Leslie Nielsen. And I can't help but see the match shots. And I can't help but think that dialogue's a little dated. <laughs> so it, you get older and some of the joy wears off. But So I'm going to say I flip it around. I see the match shot and I'm like, damn. Somebody painted that. Yes. Yes. That's true. Yes. They didn't spend a couple hours over a computer. Mm -hmm. Right. They spent days painting that that background. Yeah. You know, Leslie Nielsen, Leslie Nielsen was a great actor before he was a comedian. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it's, yeah, and, you know, the Robbie the Robot suit that looks clunky, (laughs) but for the 1950s, that is an immense accomplishment. It's still yeah. an immense. And we talked yeah. about what what makes Outer Limits. What, the, what makes the Outer Limits stay? I think the what they attempted with special effects. Yes. Looks hokey now, but they were cutting edge mm-hmm. on a television show yes. for, that, for that time period. Absolutely. The Xanti Misfits are what makes Outer Limits great. Mm-hmm. That attempt to do something that was really alien. It's a horrifying episode. Yeah. I mean, they're right. yeah. really not, scary. Not a guy in a rubber suit. Yeah. Something else. Mm-hmm. They, and they buzz. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like insects. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Could I pop one in there? Oh, yeah. yeah. Out of Limits is without a doubt my favorite science fiction horror show. You mentioned the Xanti Misfits. Again, I used to watch some of these shows with my parents. When they would come on and that buzzing would start, my mother would run out of the room. She was so horrified by it. Um, they were I, alien convicts, if you haven't seen it, and they were yes. sent to Earth, and they're actually ants. They're large-sized ants, but they have angry human faces, right. and they're terrifying. We really should have a whole PowerPoint. Yeah, just like all yeah. the creatures. Next time, next time, and we'll have some minion over there. What did you say, Xanti? <laughs> what? Yeah, like Googling. Look it up. <laughs> but, yeah, but stream of consciousness. Some of the other things that I thought were very special about the show is it had incredible music by Dominic Frontier, yeah. who had you know all this. Da, 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 da. You know, it's incredibly it's very dramatic. Music. Yeah. It had some stories in it that you know. When I was a kid, I was absolutely terrified because the monster designs by Wa Chang and Jim Danforth and yeah. folks like that were just like nothing I had ever seen yeah. before. And some of the stories, um, like Nightmare, in which you had uh, aliens uh, at war with us, you thought torturing people to death, right. you know, mm-hmm. and it turns out that this is all a game brought on by the U.S. government, you know, and. There's, there's an episode called um, uh, a feasibility study mm-hmm. in which these sort of horrible looking rock-like aliens 
uh, abduct an entire subdivision. And they're conducting a test to see if humans can survive on their planet uh, as slave labor. And at the very end of the episode, you know, if you touch one of these luminoids, you get the infection and it spreads all over you and basically turns you into living stone after a while. And at the episode, at the conclusion, uh, you just don't see things like this. And again, I'm sorry, spoiler alert. But um, uh, at the very end of the episode, people go into a, a church. And so like so they've got this little confined area. They go into a church and he says, we'll soon have lots of other people here from Earth. Because if we survive, they'll bring the whole planet here. So he says, but we can make it infeasible ourselves. So one of the people is infected. And, he re and a guy reaches over, his, his wife is infected, and he takes her hand. And then everybody in the, in the church holds hands, even they grab the baby's hand, so they all infect themselves, you know, in an act of, you know, that. So, and there's an episode called, and I'll think of it. And they remade and, that episode. Yes, for the, they did. For the new version. For yeah. The new yeah, in the 80s, there was a remake of, of uh, The Outer Limits. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's an episode called Obit, which is about uh, aliens who infiltrate us by using spying devices which you know you could watch anybody anywhere and um it has a scene in there and again you had you had all sorts of drama and twilight zone and thing but it had a scene that's really touching for me you know as having taken care of my my father and stuff they're watching this guy and they think he's a security threat he says you can't we see you write letters we see you write letters and then you burn them what are you doing are you talking to some foreign power and he says i have a very painful form of cancer and I write these letters to my son asking to come and live with him you know but then I realize he has a family and when I'm strong enough again I burn the letters so that I don't have to burden him so they invaded this guy's you know privacy and it just wow you know very affecting you know stuff it, it was never afraid to be dark Yes. And that's something yes. that is forbidden on TV. You've got to keep people coming back. Mm -hmm. It's a marvelous show. And if, if you folks want to check it out, if you haven't seen it, I think it's still available for streaming on Hulu. Mm -hmm. um, and you might be able to find it on Amazon Prime. We'll actually take uh, questions just a little bit later, if you don't mind. Um, so I want to jump ahead a little bit uh, to a show that is, at least in my opinion, weird as hell, um, but is often left out of the discussion of weird television, and that's Lost in Space. Um, <laughs> First season. It premiered in it 1965. It's terrible. It's, well, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's of varying quality. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's remembered now for its campier attitude of its later seasons. Uh, but at heart, it was basically about one horrific encounter after another with the inhuman, the alien, and the unknowable. Including some creatures that, as you pointed out in our, our discussion, looked like they could come right out of Arkham. Yeah, I think it was like the second episode. They, they encounter the bubble creatures asleep <laughs> on this spacecraft. They get ambushed and sucked into it. If that, and that wasn't badly shot either, but you think of some of the monsters, you know, you've got to think, all right, somebody wrote the episode, somebody says, okay, who creates the monster? Oh, you create monsters? Great. Create a monster for this. Um, oh, and you're going to direct it? Great. And you're doing the sound and you're doing, and somehow they all come together. 
and they didn't do such a bad job on that early stuff because some of them were pretty spooky. Mm -hmm. They were scary. And if you look just at the monster creations, somebody was thinking outside the box. <laughs> and I don't mean the later ones where Dr. Smith is a carrot. I mean, you know, <laughs> that's terrifying all by itself. That's, you know, eugenics and genetic engineering and chimeras, and that's going to happen someday. Don't worry about it. But <laughs> the, the carrot-human hybrid? Well, oh, yeah. <laughs> Pretty soon we're going to have Rush Limbaugh and a lobster combined. It's just going to happen because we can, we can do it. But if you look at just the creatures and some of the creatures on Lost in Space, if they shot it in a less campy mm -hmm. style and if they shot it in a more atmospheric style, those monsters were sure. scary. They were good. There the was one episode of that in which... Um, it was kind of a nod to Invasion of the Body Snatchers yes. because there were these right. space farmers that grew these giant plants <laughs> and Judy or one of the yeah. people got put in the plant and it would generate a clone out of her that they were trying to replace. So. Uh, yeah. yeah, definitely. I think the writers were, were very creative and might have also been smoking some stuff. <laughs> you know, there's got to be a backstory. Somebody here has probably read a backstory of Lost in Space. I, I haven't. But I know they, they had their audience. The early effects were quite good. The spacecraft effects were excellent. Uh, what was it, CBS? Yeah. They passed on Star Trek because they had already bought Lost in Space, which you know, Gene Roddenberry had a conniption about because that's all another story. But the networks were thinking, oh, we have a science fiction show. We don't need another. Mm. That's, that was it. You were limited to that. It's much different now. They'll try yeah. anything. Yeah. But that was a show that lasted four, three years, I know for sure. Four years? Three or four, yeah. I'm yeah, not sure. Uh, it had a different opening uh, credit sequence every season, too, which yeah. Well, it went I colored. Loved. Yeah, yeah. it's it. That was that was 1964 to 65 to 66. Everything yeah. went color. Yeah, and I know at one at least for one episode, since it was an Irwin Allen production, if you had a particularly good monster, you could move it over to Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> which was also a weird show, right? Yeah. yeah. First did. of all, it was a submarine with a with a windshield, like what? <laughs> right, which is already kind of weird. But they would always run into aliens underwater. It did seem to happen a lot, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The abyss. You know, it's just a prelude to you know most of the '90s. When you're you're a little bit younger than myself, uh, <laughs> did, did you have a chance to watch Lost in Space at all? You know, I'm sitting here and I'm like, I only remember the color episodes, and they were so hokey, yeah, and that really kind good. of like yeah. ruined them for me. Especially when I was at the same time, I'm watching things like The Outer Limits and The Twilight Zone, and it's like, it, it's true though, they had great monsters, but it's like, I remember my mom really liked Lost in Space when she was a kid, but my dad hated it for some reason. I think he thought it was too chintzy, even though we were talking earlier about Johnny Quest, and he loved that. So I don't understand how like Lost. In space too much, but Johnny Quest. Okay, but Johnny, that was that Johnny was Quest the line. Johnny Quest was high drama compared to Lost in Space. I mean, they, they, but you know, good stuff. Am I wrong in considering Lost in Space weird? Am I the only one? No, no, no. no, it, no. It, it, I can see it from even what I've seen of it. Moments, yeah. so you could see that somehow mm -hmm. somebody got a script by, mm -hmm. and they maybe they didn't even realize until after they shot it. But yeah, they had, they had some really weird stuff. Some really strange ideas. Yeah. I mean, it, it's sort of trying to cross over between the western set in space. It, Yes. To mm -hmm. more of a weird show, yes, and just going it's sort of like this tug of war between within. So sometimes it works as a as weird, and sometimes it works just as cowboys in space. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, they were very unafraid to to throw 
anything. They had time yes. travel. They had yes. dimensional travel. They had creatures. They had monsters. They had God's monster. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. You know, they were. It, when I think back on it, it was pretty darn creative. It's just they were going for camp. They it were. It worked, yeah. but it got. It has a very limited shelf life. Well, yeah. you know, it's right. hard to go back. It's and hard to watch stuff. now. Yes. Well, and ultimately because it went so campy, it stops being an adult show. Right. And becomes a kids show, mm. and the, it ends up in the afternoon after school time slot. Yeah, yeah. On like uh, UHF channels. And I think yeah. that was my problem growing up. I would catch it in syndication, and every episode seems so different. I'm like, what's even going on in this show? And if you catch like half of an episode and you haven't been watching it, you're like, what? Who are these people? Yeah, I've seen this, but like, what's going? It's true, they're, they're stuck on a planet all season, but they never meet the same kind of alien twice. Exactly, <laughs> right. it always seemed like, okay, I'm not really sure what's happening here, so I think I found it confusing. It also it had going. a sound effect that they used whenever an alien would just materialize, yeah. Yeah. which was the sound effect of my youth. Like, this showed up so much yeah. in cartoons and in the show, it was amazing. Well, I think one thing, though, with the series, the reason it got so campy, was that the Batman show had yeah. oh. come out. Oh! Yeah. Dominic, excellent point. Yes. Yeah, excellent point. Okay. And, and I, one thing about uh, Lost in Space, I remember being scared of that, and for a long time it took me a while to realize what frightened me about the monsters on it. And they did this several times. Several of the aliens or monsters or creatures didn't have faces, mm-hmm. and that bugged the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, yeah. that was You're probably right. a budgetary thing. Yeah, but yeah. it made it creepier. It was so yeah. effective. Yeah, they had the, well, they had so, they, you know, it, we could do a little bit more on it. I, I don't want to, but we could. Because, it, because it, it, now I'm remembering, yeah, as a kid, some of that stuff was scary, but I was just the right age where I started to see the campy. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand camp. Yeah. I'm a oh, kid. Sure. Yeah. I didn't mm-hmm. get it. I, mm-hmm. I'm like, like Batman flattened every show around it because camp became the thing. Yeah. If you remember uh, The Man from Uncle, mm-hmm. first two seasons, straight spy action, third season, very campy. Mm-hmm. Ratings crashed. That was because they wanted to imitate Batman. Mm-hmm. Everybody thought that was the way to go. Interesting. Which is funny because I feel like that's so dated now. That's so much more dated. We're talking about the outer limits yeah, well, and the Twilight because, Zone, and they can stand up. But you're right. Batman is so campy, and it's like it's got its own appeal now. I almost feel like it's kind of come back around again. That like there was it a period a of time, appeal. yeah, yeah, yeah there's yeah. a period of time where I hate it. Now I'm like, yeah, I can I can see its its appeal now, but it is more retro now because it was. Yeah. But I think the, what the guest dated. stars were they made it. Yes. Part, part of the problem is that what we we as a as a society define as camp mm-hmm. changes, changes as we grow older. Yes. So what was camp is now just stupid. <laughs> and, you know, yes. and look, look, look yes. I, I'm a big fan of Phantom of the Paradise. Brian De Palma is one of Brian mm-hmm. De Palma's early films. Wow. It's a fabulous movie, but it's pretty stupid. It's pretty bad. <laughs> you know, but if you watch it, you see a lot of the tricks and a lot of what he's going to do later on in his other yes. films. Yes. And it's like, okay, this is a training film. Mm. This is teaching him how to mm-hmm. make film. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's still camp and stupid. But, but the Phantom <laughs> takes that great electric lightning bolt yes, shoves it right? down into beef and electrocutes it. Yes. Oh, so now that. compare that to Carrie and getting the blood dropped oh, on yeah. it, right? It's like, yeah. it's, so it's it's a prelude. Yeah. yeah. Well, we should focus on TV. I think. Yeah, you're, we're going too far <laughs> It all relates. Everything <laughs> hangs together. That's true. Um, so we've talked about uh, uh, a bunch of great shows, but I want to talk about a show that I think didn't work uh, for a number of reasons, and that's Night Gallery. Uh, Rod Serling's sort of follow-up to uh, The Twilight Zone. 
Um, it premiered in 1969. It also ran for, I'd say, a good three seasons, mm-hmm. I think, right? And they were adapting stories by some great authors. Yeah. Um, Fritz Lieber, mm-hmm. Mary Eleanor Wilkins Freeman, Algernon Blackwood, Margaret St. Clair, Seabury Quinn, August Derleth, Manly Wade Wellman, mm-hmm. uh, Clark Ashton Smith, and they did two uh, Lovecraft, Lovecraft stories as well, yeah. Cool Air and Pickman's Model. Yeah. Yeah. But the show doesn't work, I mean, in my opinion. Uh, I, I know it has its fans, certainly, and it has its <laughs> moments as well. Um, in, your, in your ideas, what, what went wrong? I, I come back around tonight, tonight Gallery when I remember seeing it as a kid and I was actually kind of angry at it because I'm like, you should be as good as the Twilight Zone. Why aren't you? This, all the things that were present for the Twilight Zone should be here. And, and I didn't like it as much. I feel like now that I'm getting older, again, it's almost like that retro appeal that I can kind of see some of it. But I, I keep coming back to it. Maybe it's just like a, a skipping record at this point. But I do think it's that lack of artistic vision. There's not that cohesion of... The Twilight Zone with Night Gallery. I love the wraparound of the silly little pictures. I actually do love that wraparound. That's yeah. actually one Some of, of my favorite things. Some of the art was yeah. amazing. Sometimes that was the best part of the episode, though, sadly. Sometimes the art was like, oh, that's a really creepy painting. But I, I don't think that there was any... When I think of them, I, I think of the paintings, usually. I think of how the... It, the cinematography wasn't as good in, in Night Gallery, I think, as in The Twilight Zone. So I kind of remember, maybe it was the, the transfers I saw. They were always kind of grainy looking, is how I remember them. Well, it's I, about I, how the way it looked. Okay. Yeah. And so that's like, you know, so maybe that was part of it. But I do think it was just a lack of, like, anything, any specific cohesion for, for what, what he was trying to do at that point. I don't know if he was phoning it in. I don't want to think that Rod Serling was phoning it in, but I definitely don't think that the power that he had behind the Twilight Zone was there for. There might have been a lack of care. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he wasn't really in charge of the night. No. And maybe that's another yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. He sold the idea. Okay. They, they said, yeah. yes, we want you. And he's like, okay, great. And he thought it was going to be another yeah. Twilight Zone. They just wanted him as yeah. Rod Serling. Yes. Do your, do your spiel mm-hmm. and good night. And he was pretty horrified by that. A lot of bitterness in Hollywood. Uh, So I think my vibe from looking at it compared to Twilight Zone is I get the feeling it was under budget. Oh. I don't don't feel like it had, I don't know the Twilight Zone had a big budget, but it just doesn't feel the same. And the cinematography's not as yeah. good. The, the whole vibe isn't quite there. The yeah. idea is really good. Yeah. Uh, paintings, here you paint, ooh, the skull, and then you see the skull, and it's like, great, Pickman's <laughs> model, you know. But here you run into the really big problem, especially with Lovecraft. If it's horror, and it's horrible on paper, mm. it's in the mind of the beholder. Yeah. When you put it on screen, it's the cinematographer, the guy who did the costumes, who sold the rubber for the thing? <laughs> Were they tired that day? You yeah. know what? What was going on behind the scenes? And Fifty people have to make that show. Yeah. And and the ghouls looked pretty bad in that in Pickman's model. It looked pretty and, bad. And now you read it, and every time I can read Lovecraft again and again, and I have to recreate some horrific thing. Yeah. And depending on how I'm feeling that year, it's a different looking thing, and I'm I'm fine with that. But once you put it on film. That's it. You've just stuck a like mm-hmm. yeah. a vampire. You put a stake in it and said, "You're that forever," yeah. and it'll ruin a story. 
Well, it's interesting that you bring this up because I think a lot of the Twilight Zone episodes were written originally for the Twilight Zone. Some of them I do believe were adaptations, but most of them were written just to be Twilight Zone episodes. Whereas with Night Gallery, if they're adapted mostly from short stories, that I think that you just hit on something there is that they originally started in a different medium. And some some stories can be adapted, but that may have been why the Twilight Zone worked so well as they knew what medium they were they were writing for. So you guys, did you guys see tw- uh, Night Gallery in original? release yeah. okay so I'm a little younger than you I've only and you're you're younger than I am <laughs> um, we've only seen Night Gallery in a corrupted version the half hour version yeah they, oh, with the okay. sixth sense the, all the Gary Cal, the, all the, the Gary Col- Col- Collins Col- episode yeah. where there's like there's the sixth the, sense the sixth that is not part of Night Gallery right that was no. a completely different show that they merged into it to make to, as filler they literally cut portions of Night Gallery out so that they could shove this other show into it. And sometimes added additional footage to pan, to fill out the half hour you okay. can Right. I don't know where that stuff came from. So, yeah. you know, the, the night gallery that I saw on, you know, syndicated television in the 70s mm-hmm. is not right. what was shown. Um, it's available now in streaming in its original form. In its original okay. form. So it, yeah. it might be worth going back and looking at as a, you know, and, but what I'm, what I'm, where I'm going with this is this may be why it didn't catch fire and it's not remembered is because the, the second time around mm-hmm. it was corrupted. Yeah. So if, if, if I can do the dissenting opinion. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you say it didn't work. It was like we drove a knife right into oh, the I, I think that there are actual episodes that really work fabulously. There were some yeah. stories that worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The ones that come across, and it's interesting because they're having the um, this uh, talk about the uh, simulacra coming up here. Mm-hmm. The episode of Algernon Blackwood's The Doll, that, that had to be the most absolutely Terrifying. horrifying thing that I had ever seen. I think that Guillermo del Toro has a picture of this, uh, as a reproduction of The Doll. Yeah. But that one I thought was horrifying. I think that if you've seen it, the episode called, and my friend Jerry Roberts and I were talking about an episode called The Caterpillar, oh, in sure. which mm. the uh, uh, oh, yeah. revenge, the, the, the assassin puts a bug into the oh, ear yeah. of, you know, that was just, uh, there was the Feast of Blood where the woman gets the fur brooch that looks like a little mouse or something and it keeps biting her and biting her and getting bigger and bigger and um, uh, I also have to mention I, I, don't, I forget honestly if he's a producer or director but Jack Laird was an enormous fan of the mythos. I mean, yeah. Yeah. we didn't yeah. bring up uh, mm-hmm. Professor Peabody's last lecture, which is right. loaded with in-jokes, and, yes. and it has Lovecraft and Derleth and Block, and in the original version, even Hazel Heald, who wrote Curse of Yig and stuff like that, is in it. I didn't catch that. So, so if, if I, there's an excellent book out, I think, but from the University of Kentucky Press that said that one of the later episodes of it they adapted, is it the horror, I, I think it's the horror in the museum with the demon god Ganatothoa who, par- who petrifies his victims. <laughs> they took that and they bought the rights to it and they cut out all the stuff about <laughs> Ganatothoa. 
but they kept in Bill Bixby getting petrified by this. It's called The Last Rites of a Dead Druid. Oh, yeah. So there's an enormous, you know, I mean, like you said, you had Fritz Lieber stories, yeah. Manly Way Wellman stories. Mm -hmm. You had an excellence of Clark Ashton Smith, Return of the Sorcerer. Also, with Vincent had, Price. Yeah, yeah well, um, Vincent yeah. Price. That's right. Hometown St. Louis boy for me. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, you had, and, and also a very good one with, I think, Leslie Ann Warren called. Yes, the vampire. A, she's a vampire. vampire. Fire. on this little mm -hmm. boat in the canal and the yes. water is drying up and it was very mm -hmm. back when they made it the third season when it was even I didn't like it that much then but but not no a big surprise a big surprise with Richard Matheson's story about the kid who the old John Kerry oh says, yeah you go and you dig a hole in this place there'll be a big <laughs> surprise waiting for you at the bottom <laughs> that was so yeah, that was very creepy and weird. Uh, uh, yes. A lot of things yes. that I've read in, in the book that the, they dedicated to it was they said people did not like the comedy bits that they put at the mm. very beginning, in, in a lot of them, where... They'd, yeah, they'd be, they'd be running a, like a minute short, and they would add yeah, just like right. this short thing right. where, like, you know, a vampire goes to a blood bank, and there's like a joke, and then it's over, you know? Yeah, it was very uneven. Yeah. Was, and yeah. I think that it's a tragedy, but you hear Rod Serling... Mm -hmm. I and know. people are expecting something. Yeah. And mm -hmm. even if it was 90% of what they could have got mm -hmm. or should have got, you're going to be disappointed. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's, it's, it's not like the Twilight Zone. And I think that's the thing that you hear most often mm -hmm. is, oh, mm -hmm. well, yeah, but it's not like the Twilight Zone. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, yeah, Twilight Zone is like a 9.5 in IMDb. I mean, you're not going to hit that again. Yeah. It's lightning in a 9.5? <laughs> I remember it was a 9.0. I'm exaggerating. But it was damn good. But, then, but it was a, an attempt, and there was nothing else on like it. Mm. Night Gallery was it. If mm. you wanted horror, you wanted yeah. scary, you wanted... There's no other shows on. It was a great wasteland. Mm. Yeah. You had re reruns of Gomer Pyle USMC. Horror <laughs> in its own right. <laughs> and we're laughing, but the reason Star Trek was, it was a highly rated show in its time, it was, but it was always number two in its slot. It was always consistently trounced by Gomer Pyle USMC. Oh, it was oh, the God. number one show. It was the number one show for years and years and years. So here you are, you're a producer in Hollywood, you're trying to pitch a show. Oh, it's gonna be like Night Gallery, it's gonna be like this. And they're looking at the budget of Gomer Pyle, which must have been a joke, and the ratings, and they're saying, okay, how much do you need for it? And that's, you know, it's all about the industry, yeah. the Hollywood industry. Yeah. The reason you can make horror today is because you can make money at it. Yeah. Because these shows happened and people like us remembered them, mm -hmm. and people in Hollywood said, Let's try it one more time, and then you get an X Files, mm -hmm. and then you get Stranger Things, and then mm -hmm. you get, and you can do real horror now because it sells. Yeah, um, we're actually we're we're uh, going to run out of time soon. I do want to take uh, questions, but before we do that, we can't talk about the weird or horror on television without talking about Kolchak. Yeah, because I was just yeah. going to say, um, like, yes. if we yeah. talk about the X Files, let's go backwards a little bit <laughs> yeah, and yeah, talk about yeah. Kolchak. So it premiered in 1974 and only ran for one season, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, plus two original TV movies. Mm -hmm. But there's no denying it was a tremendous influence on so many shows mm -hmm. and movies that followed it. Mm -hmm. Most famously, The X-Files, but mm -hmm. also I would say shows like Supernatural. Buffy um, the Vampire Slayer. I feel yeah, because like yeah. Kolchak was a version of the occult mm -hmm. detectives of yore, right? right? He was like John Silence, Thomas mm -hmm. Karnacki, Jules de Grandin, uh, but he was also thoroughly modern. 
Yeah. He had his rumpled uh, you know, <laughs> coat and, and uh, his, his cynical sensibilities and some beat up old car, right? Yeah. Um, so of all the programs we've talked about, uh, I think this is the one whose legacy has probably felt the strongest today. Yeah. That's the mm. one that should have lasted. Yeah. In, and we remember it. People remember it. They even tried to reboot it. Right. Yeah. And uh, I loved it. And oh, yeah. this shows didn't hold up as well as the original movie it was based on, which was the number one rated made-for-TV movie in history up to that right. time. Yeah. Mm. The but they were the good. Time. They were good. And they were fun. Because yeah. you, you, Derek McGavin, he didn't have a fancy car. He didn't mm -hmm. have a great suit. Mm -hmm. He didn't have a leopard walking alongside. It was nothing fancy about <laughs> this guy. You know? He didn't have a cane with a sword in it. He was a, he was a stumble bum attempt of a yeah. reporter. Mm -hmm. And you kind of rooted for the guy. Mm -hmm. You'd be like, yeah. He was a constant underdog. Right? Yeah. Yes. I mean, yes. But to me, um, it's it's poorly titled, but The Energy Eater is one of the best attempts of doing uh, cosmic horror on the small yes. screen ever done. I forgot about that one. And literally all you ever see is like sparking electricity and breaking walls. <laughs> but at the end, when they take all the x-rays and they put the x-rays all together, and it's, the whole floor is covered and it's just one giant eye. Yeah. Looking out, yeah. and it's like, oh shit! That if they could have done more like that, yeah, you know that yeah. was what was good. You know, some some of the other episodes were mediocre. They were obviously targeted at a different kind of audience than 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 weird fiction. They were there they were vampire and, and yeah. you know but they went with a lot of classic monsters. Yeah, yes. a lot of classic monsters. Werewolf classic. on the love boat. Yeah. yeah. But the swamp monster, uh <laughs> yeah. Pear, Pear Feet. Yeah. Uh, you know that Carmel is, Faye. Carmel Faye, yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. That's oh, a that was a great yeah. story. Yeah. 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 That, was, that was a great story. Oh, you remember the, the one with the uh oh god, what was it? It was the uh, uh that he had a kill with a crossbow at the end. It was some Hindu oh, god. Oh, the, yeah. the, the Rakshasa. Yeah, the Rakshasa. Oh, that yeah. was great. Whoever you loved. And right. Trusted. Yeah, that, and that was a creepy-ass episode. Yes, yeah. and that, was, that episode was written by Jamie Sangster, who did a lot of the Hammer films. The yeah. Hammer films. Yeah. Ah, you know, yeah. so, and... Uh, I like that because it had yeah. it was preying on this old Jewish community. Yes, yeah, yes. Right. yes. <laughs> and they thought they were Nazis, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. but it was yeah. Yeah, it was really right. Hindus trying to prevent. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. But it's, yeah. the show's DNA really is everywhere now. Even if it, it only, even if it wasn't successful in yeah. its time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it is one of those shows, and that happens every once in a while that you'll have some show that, or even movie, but since we're talking about television, it doesn't last very long, and yet in just a few episodes, it just it just has that, that, that long-lasting effect. I do think the episodic nature of it, like just how each, the, the, the monster of the week, I feel like the X-Files particularly got that from Kolchak, and I always thought that those were the, by far the best X-Files episodes, so which I it, love that kind totally. of. Yeah. Which apparently Darren McGavin hated. Oh, really? He apparently really? hated the idea of the monster that we. He wanted yeah. a, a larger, Large. overarching storyline. That's like that an actor develop. thing, though, I think. Because you <laughs> want to be able to continue to play yeah. it. I don't right. mean it in a mean way. I've done acting, so I mean, I, I don't mean that in a mean way, but you want to be able to yeah. play that continued drama. Whereas I think as an audience, you like that, that each each week can be come, yeah. come back fresh. But well, yeah. One thing I really liked about Kolchak that was different than any of the other ones was occasionally the monsters in there would say, you know, I'm not going to sleep in a little crypt. I'm not going to hide in a haunted castle. Yeah. I'm going to go out there and kick all of your asses and kill 50 cops. Yeah. You know, and you shoot them and shoot them and they keep coming. It was a... That really turns you on. Yeah. <laughs> well, there was this, 
<laughs> the succubus who is is dating oh, through yeah. the dating service, the computer dating service, right. and yeah. she's like, yeah. she's killing handsome young men, just like yeah. walking down the street or jogging around the river. Well, it modernized it yeah, all, yeah. right? It really yeah. brought it, it up did. to, to yeah. uh, present day. Yeah. It was I, no longer the dusty old castle. Right. Mm -hmm. I think what we're seeing was a, a gem in the rough. They got so many details right, yeah. they still live to this day, and they get ripped off. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They yeah. just couldn't sustain, you know, I don't know what their competition was, but again, some yeah. of the, some of the great ratings. shows, yeah. Firefly, great show, but yeah. what's it up against? How much do they advertise it? Yeah. How you know? Th there's all these backstories. Is it in a stable time slot? Right. And I think there's also an element of it was ahead of its time. Like yeah. If uh, Kolchak had premiered five, ten years later, would it have yeah. run ten yeah. seasons? Yeah. You know. Well, I think I think Supernatural was very affected by it. But you said the monster Buffy. of the week. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I also think like we're saying, it's the zeitgeist. I mean, the fact that Gomer Pyle was so popular once, and I'm I, maybe there's a Gomer Pyle fan in the audience, and I don't want to offend that person, but I doubt most we know of us. We, I, <laughs> most of us are not big Gomer Pyle fans. Whereas, you know, I, I feel like you like you said, and even if you're a Gomer Pyle fan, it's probably not the most influential thing on television right now. Whereas Kolchak, you're still seeing it. So I do think it's like that zeitgeist of sometimes something can run for a long time and. 20 years later, nobody really cares. And then, no offense, Gomer Pyle fans, well, but... Well, to be fair, Sergeant Carter was pretty scared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Jim Neighbors literally had number one records. Yeah, yeah. oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, so he was hugely popular. He was much yeah. loved. Yeah. Are you guys ready to take some questions from an angry audience that's angry that we didn't mention their favorite shows? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <sure. laughs> Actually, the gentleman uh, over there had a question for a while. Um, I just want to say something about uh, Twilight Zone versus uh, Outer Limits. Uh, Twilight Zone was a sentimental morality play. Mm -hmm. and that's why it appealed to such a broad audience, mm -hmm. and that's why it's been, um, you know, rebroadcast for in the decades since. Uh, Outer Limits was hard science fiction, and right. that appeals to a much narrower audience. Mm. Um, and because it's hard science fiction, it has the morality of EC Comics, where bad stuff happens to good people. Uh, okay, and, yes. and that isn't going to appeal yes. to a wide audience, and that's exactly why I prefer that show over mm -hmm. Twilight Zone. Mm -hmm. uh, and speaking of uh, Outer Limits, uh, one, one important aspect that was forgotten here about the Zanti Misfits is the cosmic element at the end. We find out at the end of the, of the show that the reason the Zanti sent their criminals is so we would kill them for them. Yeah. They used us. We were the lower life form that they used. They came from a planet that had no death penalty, Precisely. and so right. we were supposed to do the job we're for the them. Now, someone said that the effects on our limits weren't very good. Um, I, we're in the middle of re-watching the series. No, just, no just the opposite. We said they were good. We said they were cutting yeah. edge. Uh, yeah, I thought I was blown yeah. away by the, yeah. by yeah. the Outer Limits special okay. effects, and I can't tell you how many times I'm watching that show, and I'm just like, whoa, <clears throat> I just can't believe something yeah. happened in the show or the special effect. Um, there's this one with this smoke monster mm -hmm. that I mm -hmm. just... I it crawled out of the woodwork. Yes. 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 I'm just riveted to that show. It's amazing. Are you uh, are you streaming it or do you have it on discs? Uh, yeah, I'm streaming it because that's another thing I wanted to point out is that um, the episode, or seasons 1, 2, 3, and 5 of Twilight Zone are on Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. Outer Limits is on Amazon mm -hmm. Prime. Good. Okay. Uh, one Step Beyond is on Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. So is Star Trek. So, uh, I think Night, uh, Night Gallery and Kolchak are not. I don't think so. Okay. No. I do think Kolchak uh, episodes, when I was researching for this panel, I believe they're available for uh, on just NBC's website because I was able to like pull oh. some of them up. So okay. I'm not sure if like you have to sign in or whatever, but I was able to start watching several of them. So I believe that those are available on NBC. 
right? Also, one of the nice things about Outer Limits, the one hour episode works for them because I think their production quality, production uh, values were higher. They feel like little movies. They do. Yeah, they yes. do. Yes. And they're remarkable. Kolchak, yeah. um, I think it failed because it's a monster of the week and it's very formulaic. I rewatched them a couple of years ago and mm -hmm. it's really hard to, to Interesting. make those because it feels like. Uh, the same, same thing over and over. There's some really standout episodes. But uh, it's tough to binge. But one thing about Kolchak that I like is you actually do begin to love the characters after a while. Yes. You know, there's yeah. like Miss yeah. Emily. Yeah. There's, yeah. You know, she's great. His, 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 his <coughs> oh, Chad Russo. Yeah. Between yeah. Um, Dear McGavin and Simon Oakland. Those mm -hmm. are yes. fantastic. Yeah. See the two actors playing mm -hmm. off each other. Regardless of the horror, regardless of what's going on, those scenes are terrific. Thank you. I want to move on to another question. The, the, the person there in the gray shirt. Um, uh, first of all, Supernatural only relied on Monster of the Week until about season five. My wife and I are huge fans. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now that it's, the monster has been defeated after 15 seasons, we're, we're so, so um, I, my, my question is, because I, I got into the Twilight Zone by um, uh, Treehouse of Horror. From the oh great! That's the great. Oh, and yes. Wow. Then they, they well, that's a backdoor. I believe. Um, I was wondering what your guys' like favorite references to your sh favorite shows are. Like, which they pulled off really well. Like, um, uh, one of my favorite movies is So I Married an Axe with Mike Myers, and he mentions the Night Gallery episode, uh, and mm -hmm. I had to find out if it was if it was real, and that's how I got the Night Gallery. <laughs> Yeah, do you guys have any? Uh, I actually, I I love that you brought up Treehouse of Horror because I remember they did the Outer Limits intro at one point, and like Homer comes on and starts messing with the thing, and he like starts <laughs> and, and I love that, like when it's like I think Bart's trying to do the narration, and so Homer interrupts him and then starts like you know making the thing flutter and everything, and and Bart's like stop it, and I love that because like I said, I was so afraid of that narration. It was so much fun to see it getting riffed on. I'm like okay, this seems even more like approachable now because I loved Treehouse of horror so much so I like that you did bring that up if it all relates they anyone else with a, a reference they want to share well, they, they just show up everywhere yeah yeah I think like and this is not Twilight Zone well it could yeah it could be but I really like the I think the intro to the Simpsons that uh, Guillermo del Toro I think did where he had all the Rich, all Richard them. Matheson characters, oh, including wow. the, the albino guys from the Omega yeah, Man yeah. sitting around yeah. smoking. <laughs> that was great. There was an episode of Third Rock from the Sun. Oh, what a great where show. Where William Shatner gets off a plane in an airport and he walks <laughs> up to the top of the And Lithgow goes, are you okay? He goes, oh, was it? there was this thing on the on the plane, on the wing of the plane. And Lithgow goes, the same thing happened to me. <laughs> I mean, that was just boom, 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 boom. That's great. Uh, the, the gentleman with the beard there, yeah. Yeah, um, we didn't mention Thriller. Oh, Boris yeah. Karloff, right? Yeah. Uh, Boris Karloff hosted Thriller in the late 60s? Sure, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Early 60s, I think. Early 60s, okay. If I don't know when it was, it was in the 60s. Isn't it? Yeah, sure. <laughs> that sounds about right. If, if I could jump in with Thriller, and, and I'll let you guys talk because I talked too long. But um, the episode of Thriller, there's lots of great ones. I think one of, some of the best were. Um, uh, oh shoot, what's the August Ehrlich one where they're all down and he's kept them alive? All of the old professors who denounced his ways. Um, Professor Markison's okay. story. Yes. That one is incredibly creepy. Um, and, you know, there's a, Pigeons from Hell, the yeah. adaptation they did. The Robert Howard. Howard. Yeah. No, Robert, Robert Howard. Howard. Yeah. But for me, 
the only TV show or movie that's made me done to do this. Sometimes I'd watch horror movies with my mom late at night because uh, my dad was out of town, so we were doing this. The only movie that ever made me pull the covers over my head was the episode called The Hollow Watcher, which had a scarecrow that came back to life and contained the corpse of this woman's dead husband. And again, we're getting into that simulacra of yeah. Uncanny Valley thing, but it just frightened the hell out of me. That's and pretty if, hardcore. If you watch that now, there is a little commentary track that I think David Scow or somebody says, the, the scarecrow chases this woman up the stairs, and slowly, but it's banging on the door to get in, and it has a, a branch or tree limb for a hand, and it breaks, and when I saw that, I thought, oh, that's kind of funny. But then they said, he said, that horrified me because that meant this thing was so driven by the need for revenge, it would destroy it itself. itself. Whoa. So, Check that one out. But yeah, you could actually, you could actually find episodes of Thriller on YouTube for free right okay. now. Has anybody seen The Veil? No. It's a, yes. another Boris Karloff series. I don't know. I don't oh, know wow. that one. Has you seen? Yes, you know, I've seen it. I have some episodes on old videotapes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Is any good? Don't lose them. It's, it's, no. it's not as good as Thriller. I would put it quality-wise and story-wise somewhere between one step beyond and night gallery okay it's a little uneven it's got kind of a, like an almost not a docudrama but like a this is a true story okay. type thing um but i do have it and now you're making me want to go my <laughs> i had not heard of that one actually yeah, yeah. It's, it, it didn't i don't think it ran very long because it's like another one of those that just came and went mm -hmm. there wasn't very many episodes i don't think i may be confusing it with something else but I seem to recall it was a product of Hal Roach Studios. Wow. Which one? The Veil? Uh, the Veil. Hmm. Okay. And because, you know, they were on their last legs and like that, low budgets and like mm -hmm. that, probably had something to do with the short run. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, Krista, you had a question? Yeah. First, I want to say this was an absolutely amazing panel. <laughs> Great job. Thank awesome. you. Um, I, really simple question. Well, maybe simple. You only get one, no explanations, favorite Twilight Zone episode. I already mentioned it, the masks. Yeah, the masks. I have to think about it. You go ahead. I'm, if I've only got one, I just realized I didn't mention one that I really wanted to. It's in the last season. It's called Come Wander With Me. It's like the only one that's got a theme song for it. <laughs> and it's like, but it's like this folksy, weird theme song. It's got an actress, Bonnie Beecher, who I love. She was in an episode of Star Trek, Spectre of the Gun. And it seemed like she was going to get really big. And then she married Wavy Gravy. And they went and did Woodstock. And now they, they ran, ran off to California. And they're doing like stuff like that. So... But it, she's so good in it, and it's so weird. It's just like this very folksy, like Gary Crosby, like Bing Crosby's son shows up. He's this rockabilly singer, and he's he's really kind of awful. And he shows up, and she's like just strumming on her guitar, and like she's singing this song that's very prophetic throughout it. It's bizarre. It's really campy. It's terrible. You but don't have to defend it. Yeah, no, it's okay. <laughs> she told you but not to. I know, no, but no, that's. No. I wanted to mention that, so you gave gave me an opportunity to come wander with me. I would I would recommend it. Uh, that is the hardest question. I I can't think of one. I did just like five popped into my head all at the same time. Little guys. Haters. Um, 
Okay, no. Yeah, yours is great. <laughs> I'll say the first one I remember that actually scared me was a uh, uh, lost child, child lost, a yeah. child who falls through the Yeah, wall. little girl lost. Yeah. Little girl lost. Mm -hmm. Which is poltergeist. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It and, totally and is. And just the idea as a, like, a, I don't know, what, seven, eight-year-old kid seeing, you know, yeah. and then dimensions. What's another dimension? Mm -hmm. There's other dimensions. And then, of course, in school, you're learning about non-Euclidean geometry. You're like, there are dimensions that can't be seen. <laughs> you mean we can fall into them? Oh, my God. You know, so it, it kind of dovetailed with reality. And, and, and this is all taking place in a suburban kid's bedroom. Yes. Right. Yeah, the yes. normal yes. possible. Exactly. In the world. Line yeah. On the wall. Yes. Yeah, that's right. incredible. Yeah, the, the idea of the, there is no safe place. You're not safe in Any, your bed. Yes. You'll fall into another dimension. You're screwed. That's it. <laughs> yep. So, yeah. Well, it could be a nice dimension. That's true. Maybe she, maybe she wanted to stay there. Like I don't yeah, want to go. Yeah. You don't know. <laughs> and um, I will mention there is one other Twilight Zone with a folk song in it. Okay. Uh, Which Jezebel. Oh my gosh. Written I, by I, Earl Hamner. Yes, I, I like that one. It, yeah, it's so one of the hour ones, but it, it, it does. That's right. It's got that folk song. It's but the only one that doesn't have that, closing narration. No, that's that actually not my favorite. It's not. It's not. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's and good. It's a very manly way. Well. Yes, it is, yeah. and that does have so, a folk song. So, you're right. But without a doubt, my favorite, the after. With the mannequins. The oh, oh, yeah. 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 The mannequins. And that was Ron Serling. That yeah. was, you know, that's a good one. Serling could be kind of preachy, you know, and stuff, but that one is just. Mm. Yeah. Does anybody remember on Saturday Night Live when uh, they yes. did the camp of Twilight Zone? Yes. It was hysterical. Yes. I, they, were like they were Twilight Zoneettes, and they were like, just yeah. boom, it's an alien zoo. Boom, I'm Hitler. Three women, you know, Gilda Radner, the other, they show up in a motel room. Why am I here? How did I end up here? And then, you know, he walks in, Ackroyd walks in, picture this. <laughs> a producer who had too much to drink, made too many promises to too many actors. <laughs> <laughs> it was brilliant. Um, do you want to? Yeah, you better oh, okay. do your. So I'm going to go with the mass as well. Okay. But because I used to be a book dealer, and there's a scene where it's like, oh yeah, you you don't judge books by their content. You judge them by their heft and what you could possibly resell them for. And that mm. that dude is like, you're judging my job. <laughs> it's like you're literally like, it's like, it's, it's so it's a very personal attack. On like the antiquarian bookseller who's oh, like, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. <laughs> but it's sort of, it's, I'm not so worried about the the um, the the faces becoming these horrible masks. I'm sort of like laying like. Rod certainly hates my job. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody who like ripped him off on a book sale. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, we're actually we're, we're I'm sorry we're out of time actually, but I want to thank my my panelists for for sharing. Their, thank you all for coming. And I'm sober again. I mean, we could talk about this for another 90 minutes. Oh, no, yeah. but there's people here, right? Or are we done? Hey, everybody. Before we wrap up this episode, I'd like to take a minute to say thank you for tuning in. We hope you're enjoying the podcast from our interviews and actual plays to our rambling roundtable discussions. If you like what you're here and you'd like to support the show, we have great sponsors for you to check out. Birds of a Feather Coffee Company is a small batch craft coffee roaster and is our OG sponsor. There are three signature blends to choose from. The Morning Lark, which is a light roast. The Night Owl Blend, which is a rich, dark roast. And the Hummingbird Decaf Blend. 
They also have the exclusive legendary brew, a nice medium roast coffee, perfect fuel for all those late night gaming sessions. If you use the code LEGENDS10, you'll get 10% off your order and shipping is always free. So head on over to tinyurl.com forward slash legendary brew or click on the link in the show notes. Thanks everybody for checking it out. We'll catch you next time. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop broadcast network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.